You're listening to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, your escape to reality. Hello and welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Today is Wednesday, December 18th, 2019, and this is your host, Stephen Novella. Joining me this week are Bob Novella. Hey, everybody. Kara Santamaria. Howdy. Jay Novella. Hey, guys. And Evan Bernstein. Good evening, folks. So, guys, this is our 2019 Year in Review episode, the last episode of 2019. Oh my gosh. Last, wait, last episode wow. of the decade. It's the last episode uh, uh, of the decade. Well, you know what? I'm not sad to see this decade come and go. <laughs> Depending well, on when you'd say a decade ends, but yes. It I was agree. a decade. It happened. It yeah. lasts 10 years. 2020. I'm looking yeah, forward to 2020. It's like, when, you know, when yeah, else would too. it end, Bob? Yep. Well, come on. You, you could bring up the whole thing with the oh. Y2K and the first year was one. It wasn't zero. Gosh, so therefore, blah, yeah. blah, blah. Oh, that. Right, right. But like on a number line. The turn of the millennia. Yeah. Zero is the, yeah. Okay. I yes. get it. It's, it's, all, it's all about the rollover effect. It's like the, on, the UK versus the US, or I should say the US versus like the rest of the like world, world yeah. basically. Floor one, two, three versus floor zero, one, two. Mm-hmm. Like that situation. Really? That's a thing? Yeah. Or floor okay. ground two three. There was yeah. a floor thirteen in my that hotel awesome. in Melbourne. I love that. Oh, nice! Mm-hmm. I like that too. Are you guys over your jet lag yet? Oh no. yeah, no, not yes. even close. It's one of my superpowers. Yeah, it's Friday morning at uh, eleven in the morning, right? Is yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm still waking up at four in the morning. <laughs> I'm waking up at a normal hour now. I'm waking up at like eight or nine every morning and going to bed at like midnight, like a normal person, and it's kind of great. I was doing that mm. on Tuesday. Day after we got back, Steve and I had a strategy. We both implemented a strategy of acclimating when we were we had a thirty like a, what was it a thirty four hour travel day to come mm-hmm. back. So yeah. we're like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna sleep when we're supposed to sleep and stay up as long as we can. If if we were supposed to be staying up in Eastern Standard Time, we both did it. We both did well. And uh, when I got back, I was I I went right to sleep at like it was two in the morning when and slept normally. And I've been sleeping normally. Um, for me, the only symptom I have, and I've had this every time I go to Australia, is that that mid afternoon lull mm. every day is amplified. It's yeah. it's like it's really amplified in the mid afternoon. Siesta a, time. I'm in a stupor for about an hour, um, and that kind of just that kind of recently just went away. But other than that, it's fine. <laughs> You well, can't put your head down for like a yeah, ten minute being power in stupor, yeah. What time does the well, sun set on the east coast right now? <laughs> like five, you're just, oh, you're yeah. just jealous, Steve. Admit it. Before five, just oh, yeah. before five o'clock. See, I, know. I think that's oh, yeah, what's right killing the darkest me. Time of year. Is just that the minute the sun sets, I want to go to bed, and then I'm like, no, it's the middle of the day still. That's yeah. part of it. Yeah. Well, yep, what's short. been happening to me is they mm. pass out like Bob, right? Steve and Steve yeah. is experiencing this too, but mine like it started to happen at four four p.m. And it slowly crept to noon. Like today, I passed out for about 45 minutes. I mean, legit, when I say passed out, like this is the way you want to feel when it is bedtime. REM sleep, pass yeah. out. Yeah, REM sleep, like instantly dreaming, pass out. And I'm hoping that it just creeps all the way back till my wake up time, which is anytime between 5.30 and 7. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Well, don't forget, I have, I have chitlins. So, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, when a kid gets up, you get up. I might fall asleep during this recording. Oh, okay. okay. Well, yeah. Oh. Just, just wake yeah. me up if I do. Well, if you do, I just got, knock I got twice. My air horn. Yeah. If you nod your head, we'll hit it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the trip was great. Oh, yeah, the trip. Yeah, the trip was awesome. It was amazing, except for the fact that I was sick the whole time we were in Melbourne. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. We kind of caught a cold there. hotel mm-hmm. room was 
Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I have that now, Kara. I got that cold. I was referring to it as like standard con plague, though, or con crud. Or how many different euphemisms are there for that? Uh, for the survivors, uh, yeah, about 4.3. Yeah, it's concrud. That's how I remember. Uh, yeah, concrud is I think the best. Concrud. I I know a guy who called it conwe, which I thought was conwe. Really I love that. <laughs> that's no, but that's not concrud. Yo, Jared, conwe. Yeah, it's still a uh, word I wanted to say. I like um like <laughs> nerd plague. That's what I usually say. <laughs> <laughs> that's good too. All right, guys, let's get into our year in review. Let's talk about science news items of 2019. What sticks out for you guys? You want me to start? Yeah. Sure. All right. It depends what it is. At the time that this news item came out, I said, this is going to be my choice for the science news item of the year. Remember... The fossil find that captured the actual yes. day the asteroid <laughs> yes. hit that at the okay, KPG Bob. boundary. That was awesome, man. It came out of nowhere. Like, what? Wait, what? Literally. Yeah. That, I mean, that's just. No, I actually, I actually picked that for best, my best segment of the year. But continue, Steve. Yeah. So to, 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 to remind you, the when the asteroid hit, you know, where the modern day Chicxulub crater is, you know, just off of Mexico. The, the water from that impact sloshed north over North America. And in this one location, it sloshed into a basin, it, you know, depositing all of the dead animals it just carried with it and laying down layers of sediment, sort of entombing them instantly in those layers of sediment. And then the tektites rain down. Tektites are little like pieces of glass that get thrown up by the meteor impact. And then they were creating little craters in the sediments that were preserved and also getting embedded like in the gills of the fish. And so we know that that sediment is from that day because that's the only time the tectites were actually falling. It's remarkable. Just Yeah, unbelievable. So it's a snapshot uh, of the day the asteroid hit. Unbelievable. Granular snapshot. Yeah. Unbelievable. So what's has anything happened the past ensuing months, Steve? Are they, I looked. I'm sure they're still researching. Nothing I looked, there's, new. And- there's a couple other papers coming out based on you know further analysis of that find. But um, the as far as I could tell, there was no change in the in the the evaluation, the assessment of that evidence that it's pretty much been accepted you know by the community. Okay, that's well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, there was another the other paleontological find from this year that I don't think got a lot of attention, but it was you know huge. Uh, was the third, only really the third major find of Cambrian fossils. Uh, this one in China, uh, and it's you know exquisitely preserved Cambrian fauna. Uh, a real treasure trove of fossils from the very beginning of multicellular life. So there's now two such fossil deposits in China, and then the or the first Cambrian one, which is the Burgess Shale in Canada. So re- really, that's going to be like decades, decades of paleontologists digging through and analyzing those fossils and informing you know our understanding of the Cambrian you know period of time. What else you guys got? For me, the most provocative was definitely what happened to CRISPR mm-hmm. in the last 12 months. Just, yeah. just it re- really coming into this this zone where it hit like level two and um, it's do it's able to do so much more now than, than when we first heard about it. I mean, it really became relevant, I think, this year 
And they, you know, the recent news item that really blew my mind was the update to its accuracy. The prime editing. Right. The prime editing, which is, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I, don't, I honestly don't know how much more accurate it is, but it is significantly more accurate. And who knows what they're going to be able to do in the short term. But in the long term, you know, CRISPR is going to be that thing that people talk about. You know, oh God, yeah. a couple of decades from now and just be like, if it wasn't for CRISPR, if it wasn't for the, the scientists who pushed this technology forward and really made it happen, we wouldn't be able to be curing X today. I'm, I'm not going to be shy about my enthusiasm about it. Like, I really do think this is going to change health mm-hmm. and humanity. It's just yeah, a matter Jamie, of time. You, you think that – you think the – um you know the anticipation and excitement is big now. Once they they knock down a couple of the uh, low ha- low hanging fruit, like some what like what are some big ones? See, like hot uh, uh, Huntingtons, Huntingtons. Oh, Huntingtons, Hatchet, Huntingtons. I knew it started with an H. But once they knock that, <laughs> once they knock that down, I mean, people can be like, damn. And then they, then they'll knock down one or two more of, of the easier ones. It, people are going to be like, damn. What you know? What else can we do with this? Think right? sick, sickle cell. This I predict up. that'll be the first one. Again. Yeah. Sick. Yeah. I but literally Jay- just said a Hodgkin's non-lymphoma instead of yeah. non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. <laughs> Bob, you're screwing my head. Yeah, Jay, you say level two. I mean, wait till it gets to like level, you know, three, four, and five. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be like all over the place. Not that I'm saying, you know, I'm, ag- I'm agreeing that Gattaca is a dystopian <laughs> future, Gattaca. but that that's the technology we're talking about. Like the, the technology they used in Gattaca was real gene engineering, like just engineering People at that point. What color eyes? How how tall do you want your kid? I mean, it's just a matter of time before they unravel what this thing can do. The other thing about CRISPR that I just find so fascinating is that it didn't hit with like this storm, right? It's this thing that's going to just chug away in the background. Yeah. You know, it's getting a little bit better. Then they're going to refine it and refine it and refine it. And it's not going to be like this you know, um, epiphany type of thing. It's going to be much more of like, well, now we cured this and now we cured that. And it's just going to slowly in the background get rid of horrible genetic <laughs> problems that humanity has. And then someday we're going to make real improvements. Like we think about the things that we'll, we will be able to do. Like, I don't know, like things that you really can't put a marker on today. But like imagine if they said, you know, we could just increase the, the ability of uh, your body to produce energy. Uh, or to you know to resist disease, or burn. just become more disease more, resistant. Yeah, more kind of general. Yeah, that's what I'm waiting specific. for, Jay. Yeah, yeah. Just increases, Augmentation, inc- augmentations baby. that aren't. And they don't have to be ridiculous <laughs> augmentations. I'm not talking about a third no. arm or to be able to see in the dark. All oh, the you know, so cool. but those, what? but Wait, those what? will come too. But imagine <laughs> right. if they had, you know, they like look, take this pill, and it'll change your genome, and you will just be healthier in two weeks. You'll be quote unquote healthier. Oh, I don't know if it'll be like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> it, might be, it might be two pills or, or one pill and an a, injection might be or a whatever. Elaborate procedure. I'll, I'll, it might be still a genetic manipulation, you know. Yeah. What else? What else you got? What else? You guys well, got? I know but, that you had asked for us, so I'm kind of breaking the rules a little bit here. Cause that's what I do. Bust the rules. <laughs> you had asked for us to talk both about kind of the best science news story of the year and also later of the decade. But the problem is mm-hmm. mine are the same, Steve. They're the same. Oh, oh this year this, had the decade? Well, wow. Right. So, well, really, it's kind of it's a general umbrella of stories all, I think, around oh. climate change, because in a lot of ways, this mm-hmm. was the decade of sort of climate resistance. It was the decade of a lot of people waking up to this problem. And a lot of specific things happened both in 2019, but also in the past 10 years. July of 2019 has been the hottest month on record. Yeah, I, I had 
like climate change denial as my worst pseudoscience. Oh, look but, at that. Yeah. I mean, it all kind of goes together, I think. But I agree. Climate change made my you know topic of the decade list. Mm-hmm. It's definitely and one the of the cool things thing is- that we've been talking about. I think it, it, it made my list for the topic yeah. that we talked about the most this year. Yeah. And I also think it's a huge story of the decade. I agree. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it is, it's kind of obvious. It's, yeah, it's like the most really all-encompassing is. that we almost sometimes have to look through the fog of climate change to pick out the other things. But yeah. in a way, I mean, and it's kind of hard, too, because you want to talk about this stuff in a more positive light, and sometimes you get really bogged down in, you know, the, the kind of existential, uh, eschatological angst around climate yeah. change. But one of the cool things that I would say is like a top news story of 2019 is that kids stopped taking the shit. And so you mm-hmm. see people like Greta Thunberg really speaking out. You see a massive wave of climate protests and of student activists really taking up the cause and being like, we're not standing down anymore. And I think that that's a very good turn of events um, that specifically really did amp up in 2019. Yep, I agree. Yeah, that's a good one. Yep. Bob, what do you got? Now, for me, it was uh, April 10th, 2019, which mm. saw the release of the first direct image of a black hole. Just an amazing tour de force. Um, after a, a decade of work, 200 researchers, 59 institutes in 20 countries and regions, plus the Event Horizon Telescope, of course, uh, produced this first real direct image of a black hole, and it pretty much matched what, what we had expected, but um, we had never, you know, you never know what you could have found, And but it was gorgeous, and decomposing the image I- itself is fascinating. I mean, you look at the middle dark circle, and that's the Event Horizon, obviously, it's a, it's the Event Horizon, and but you think, oh, yeah, it's like I'm looking at the you know, half when you look at a planet like the moon and you, you see half the surface pretty much when you're looking at it. But when you look at that event horizon, you're not looking at half of the event horizon. You're looking at 2.6 times uh, bigger than the actual event horizon. And that's because, of course, of the intense gravitational bending of light. So you're seeing like the other side of the black hole's event horizon. So just that, just this little sp- you know, smudge of darkness is just fascinating unto itself. And then, of course, the accretion disk, which is showing that, that those are the bright rings, which is essentially matter orbiting at relativistic speeds. But one side was dimmer than the other because of Doppler beaming. Um, it really, you could just talk about it forever and ever. Fascinating, real tour de force of uh, you know, achievement. And uh, to me, one, definitely one of, the biggest, one of the biggest of 2019. No argument here. Yeah. Uh, I have a couple other things on the list. So uh, this is not a first, but a second. When is a second more important than a first? When it's better than the first. Yeah, when the first failed miserably? No. Oh. This year, we detected the second... In- oh, a pattern. Interstellar object, right. Boris. So uh, the second yeah. one yeah, establishes second a pattern. pattern. Yeah. When we had the, uh, the, the, the asteroid, you know, spinning through previously, I think it was just last year, uh, we had no idea what the frequency was because it was just one. You know, did it just, was this a Set rare event one. that just happened to, Happened last year, so so. But but but, the, but to be fair, see, we kind of pr- fairly, pretty much knew that this was happening fairly regularly. But it's nothing beats actually detecting that. I know, actually, we suspected, actually, we suspected, yeah. but yeah. dark matter. You know, the other yeah, the other question was, you know, because that thing would graze the Earth basically. So what's the probability of an interstellar object grazing yeah, the Earth? Right. It's so unlikely based upon our current uh, statistics that one astronomer said. Maybe it was deliberate. Maybe it was an alien artifact. Uh, but they said, well, or, may, maybe there's right. a lot more interstellar objects than we think. Well, let's look for them, and then we'll, we'll, we'll know if we find one soon. And 
we did, right? So the mm-hmm. finding the second one answered a lot of questions. And uh, it was also the first interstellar comet. This one yeah, was clearly so cool. just a straight-up comet. It's passing through the solar system right now. Right now. So, yeah, that was that was big. I also have gold, golden rice on my list for the year. This was, you know, it's this is the year that it basically was approved for release. It still needs to be, like, fully released and... You know, people need to start eating it. That hasn't happened yet, but um, it's now inevitable. I think at this point that golden rice, uh, you know, genetically modified rice, fortified with uh, beta carotene, is inevitable. You know, it's going to be released, and when that happens, I think when you know we start saving poor blind kids, ah, it's gonna. I don't know. It's going to be really hard to argue against. Yeah, right. yeah. the Don't want to take that gym. away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they will. They'll they'll just ignore it. You know, because we already have examples of that. The GMO papaya saved the papaya industry, and they just don't talk about it. You know, they don't want to just ignore that that happened. Inconvenient. Very inconvenient. An inconvenient truth, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. Yeah, you know what, guys? Do you guys remember? I I think I'm pretty sure I talked about this um, like about six months ago. The energy vault, grid level, gravity fed battery from a tower of concrete blocks. Why? I don't know why I find this so ridiculously provocative. (laughs) I I really like kinetic energy, baby. You know what it is? I, I think it's the how intelligently designed this is. So it's it's that thing where there's a positive electrical flow coming from, say, uh, a solar farm or, or wind farm, right? So how do you store the energy? Well, yeah, you could use chemicals to store the energy, you know, also known as batteries, or you could do it with dry energy. You could do it with not dry energy, but you could use it with gravity. You could you could build a tower out of stones that you know is lifting up the stones and placing them on top of each other. And it makes like this cone of of stones that fit into each other. Yeah, it's like all potential energy. Right. And then as soon as you need energy from it, it starts lowering the stones and it generates energy. And it has extraordinarily low friction and heat loss. So it doesn't really lose that much Important. energy in the process. I love this. I love it because it's so smart. It's so like exactly the kind of thinking we need for the future. We want this type of innovation. We want things that aren't going to have an impact on the environment that are going to be, you know, I don't know, where do you get these, you know, this, this, this rock from or this concrete from? Well, yeah, well, concrete is bad for the environment. So use rock. They could just use marble. They could use any rock they want. Um, and once you, once you make the rock, then you have them. That's it. You know, it's not like you have to like redo them every some, you know, they're going to last hundreds mm-hmm. of years. So I just find this type of technology like this is green, real green technology. I love it. Yeah, the question of course is is it going to scale and you know, what's the overall operational efficiency going to be? Oh, know? stop raining on his parade. Yeah, come on. Can I just love this thing? <laughs> yeah. It's a cool idea. I'll grant you that. But, you know, we like ideas to actually work. But I think it has potential if, you know, it could certainly be executed. There's a couple of, a couple of like skeptical, critical thinking related items that I'm not sure if we talked about at all or if we did, if we didn't really talk about them a lot. You guys, did we talk about the super Dunning Kruger effect? Ooh, we talked a lot about Dunning Kruger over the super. course of the year. Super, super so, Krug. We call it Super Krug. <laughs> super DK. Yeah. So this That's is you know I mean, remember yeah. the, the Dunning Kruger effect is that uh, the less knowledge you have about something, the greater you overestimate your knowledge. Your your personal assessment of your knowledge still goes down, but the gap between your assessment and your actual performance widens. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's due to the meta. It's a metacognition. Problem. Yeah, you don't have the knowledge to evaluate your own knowledge. But again, but just to be clear, you know, as your your knowledge and performance decreases, your self assessment also decreases, just not as fast. So the gap increases. Okay, the super decay, super Dunning Kruger, and super decay occurs when <laughs> at some point your assessment actually, your self-assessment increases when your knowledge decreases. So that's not part of the normal Dunning-Kruger effect. No. It's, a re, it's a reversal. It's a super decay reversal. So there was research earlier in the year that found that this happens, but only sometimes. Like, for example, it happens with GMOs and vaccines, but mm -hmm. not climate change. So people who are anti-GMO, the most anti-GMO people know the least about genetics and think they know the most. And same thing that anti-vaxxers think know the least about vaccines, but think they know the most. So what's going on there? So that's not just ignorance. They are full of misinformation, misinformation, which is giving them the illusion of knowledge. But that but that only occurs with some issues and only at the extreme ends. But I think we've all encountered that, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. And then we I think we, we talked about this briefly, the the idea that fake news can actually create false memories. The study that where they oh, yeah, exposed yeah. people to false studies, uh to fake to fake news, and then they asked them later and some of them remember the fake news being real. Like yeah, that. and that's not oh, surprising yeah. given like all of what we've learned way back when from Elizabeth Loftus and all of her yeah. studies. It's like... Oh, yeah. absolutely. But Jeez. that's why like the, the incentive for creating and disseminating fake news is increased, right? So especially to a target you know, constituency. Sure. If you, it's almost like there's a market for it. Yeah. So you basically it's tell scary. people what they want to hear and then even if it gets debunked, Later on, they'll. It's not just that they remember that it's true; they actually remember the event occurring. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. if you create fake news about something happening, then a year later they remember that thing happening. They yeah, have it's a like false. The what do they call the Shazam effect? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's like a, that's part of like the, Man, the yeah, Mandela. They would call it that, but nobody saw that. The Mandela movie. effect. Yeah. <laughs> the new movie Shazam though is quite funny. I do recommend. Oh, it. good to know. Oh, cool. Really. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, but so let's let's transition now fully to talking about the science of the decade. Now, uh, for this part, I don't want because this is you know the, you, I think close enough to the end of the decade that this is this is the the one we're going to look back on the last ten years of both you know the SGU skepticism and science. But we'll start with science, and I'm not really looking for a, like an individual news item, although it could be. It's more like over the last ten years, what is the the big picture science story that has really gripped us and the world, right? What about gravitational waves? Absolutely. Well, like, yeah. Gotta be top five, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. LIGO, gravitational wave astronomy, a, an entirely new branch of astronomy opening up a window never before opened, giving us information that we cannot otherwise get from electromagnetic radiation. This, to me, this is definitely. Um, on the short list for for you know science news of the decade, it really it was something that's incredibly rare for to, to happen in science, 
And I love this story. I keep tracking it. And we're really, I mean, it's amazing, you know, the detection, the sensitivity of these detectors to me are, I think they're essentially the most sensitive instruments on the planet. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's so sensitive that wolves walking in the backyard of the facility can throw it off. And they had to find every source of such minor disturbances and account for them uh, in their, their long trek of trying to make LIGO work. And I mean, they're talking about finding vibrations less than the width of a proton. Incredible. Oof. And I, I'm really looking forward to the future because, I mean, you, I mean, you get some, uh, some probes in space that are, that are lined up to, uh, to perform uh, what LIGO can do on Earth. And we're talking, you know, the, the bigger the scale, the more you could find. Uh, eventually, we'll, we'll, you should be able to look at the very beginnings of, uh, you know, the barest fractions of a second after the Big Bang. Bob, how about the history related to gravitational waves going all the way back to Albert Einstein? Oh, yeah. He predicted it. And then, like a punk, he kind of doubted it later <laughs> in his life. Well, he doubted um, lots of things later in life. <laughs> but all that he, means he is that he was a good skeptic. He pre- he, yeah, he predicted it. Uh, I think they thought that it would you know, it would just be, never be detected because, hey, how could you create an instrument that sensitive? Uh, but, yeah, that, this was all Einstein. He killed it. Yeah, and also, I mean, you add to one of the things that's so cool about the gravitational wave detection story is that, I mean, you mentioned it kind of in passing at the beginning, whole new type of physics, you know, a whole new way to look at the universe. But the minute that we we got our first detection, we got a bunch more detection. Like, it was yep. the, as soon as we knew it worked, we started to see them over yes. and over. And that's so yes. cool. Very soon. Surprisingly soon. Yeah. Like, whoa, okay, whoa, 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 we got something. Um, yeah, that was that was very cool. And who – I mean, I think they're detecting them and they're, they're not even talking about it too much because – there's so many, you know, in, in a way. Uh, we, we talk about the big ones, like when the neutron stars collided, the mm-hmm. so-called kilonovas, which creates a lot of the heavy elements in the universe. And uh, so, yeah, I think there's just uh, this a very, very bright future for gravitational wave astronomy. Isn't there something incredibly satisfying about scientists making a prediction, they build a way to test it, and the prediction pans out, yeah. like in this circumstance? Yeah. Like, yeah. I love, well. I love, as soon as Kara said that, I got like a tingle up my spine. Like, yes, yeah. they created a way to measure the things that they knew were there, and those things yep. were there going, we're here. Math, you know what I mean? <laughs> the, the, the things that math's talking about are real. It's <laughs> so yeah. cool. Okay, I got another one, and I know Decade. Bob, you're going to take it away. What so do you I'm got? No, no. Did you right. guys realize or remember that the Higgs announcement was this? Yeah, decade? Higgs boson. In 12, right? 2012. Yep. 2012, yeah, that's yep. yeah, that was it big. Feels like Talk, it was I remember so freaking long ago. Right? Feels I like it was like what? seven Damn. years ago. I know. Oh <laughs> but it's also, Carrie, you were in your twenties. I know. That's so weird. <laughs> that was big, but it's also kind of sad. It's got a sad aftermath in in a, in a sense because after that, it's just like, come on, it's been seven years, and it seems like you know we're entering an energy regime where there's just not a lot happening, not you know, not, not what we had hoped. No, no real solid new physics beyond the sta- standard model, and it's getting a little scary. You know, I mean, what do we need to do to to get some re- brand new physics here? I mean, would, does, would it take a, a you know a collider? Bigger than the solar system type of stuff. Uh, that's so. Yeah, it, it is a little scary. Are you that um, disappointed in the standard model, Bob? No, the standard model has been an amazing success. But now it's like, all right, what else is there? I mean, been, <laughs> what have done you done that. for me lately? Yeah, seriously. Uh, yeah, we want, yeah, we. Did you get absolutely. beyond the standard model? 
And uh, you know, there's hint, every now and then there's hints, and and it's like, oh, this maybe this is it, maybe this is it. I can't tell you how many times I've I've read that, but nothing really is solid yet. And and uh, whew, it, it is a little scary. I mean, supersymmetries doesn't seem to be panning out. Sometimes it seems like it is. Other times it's like, man, these things would have been discovered uh, by now, if you know. And it just seems less and less likely that supersymmetry is actually going to be a thing. But uh, you know, cross your fingers, and hopefully we will eventually find some solid, you know, new phys. And and don't forget, standard model doesn't cover things like like dark energy. So there's clearly stuff out there that we need to learn so that's great so that's that stuff will hopefully will bow to science and observation <laughs> and discovery in our lifetimes but i think eventually it, it will for sure bow to science bow. <laughs> Ooh, that's on cool. your knees <laughs> my decade item can be reduced down to this one thing retro rockets yeah <laughs> <laughs> it it still blows my mind when I see a video of this happening, I love the onboard video. I love the side video where you could just see it kind of come into frame. Jay, you know they're just playing the video backwards when you see that. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Except the smoke wouldn't be, you know, doing what it's doing. Uh, that's true. <laughs> CG. CG, baby. You know what's funny? I know that there are people that, that do think all of it is CG because they think the earth is flat. And yeah, I, I've, I've talked oh, wait, to people what? that believe this. It, it makes me sad for them because this is truly – a feat of technology. It's utterly remarkable. You know, the reusable rocket technology, um, it's not just, it's not just, uh, SpaceX, you know, the, uh, mm-hmm. um, at least one of the other companies, um, is, is having reusable tests happen as well. So it's part of the future, but the retro rockets was really like, damn, when that happened, when I saw the first thing, when I, the first successful landing, uh, it just didn't, it yeah. looked, it, 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 it looked Look surreal. exquisitely surreal. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. just like, that's happening. Oh my God. Like, is that, and then I'm like, is that fuel efficient? Is that really efficient? Cause it just seems like a waste of fuel. But then when you read about it, you realize, yes, it's amazingly Massively. efficient. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful too. It's like poetry happening in rocketry. And don't forget, Jay. I mean, that's like that, that retro rocket, 1950s kind of rocket. That's like our brand, right? Our image. It's in our image. That kind of rocket is, right? Is part of the yeah. SDU brand. And, uh, and, and, um, that's part of the reason why you put it in there, Jay, right? I mean, uh, because you just love it so much. So, yeah, I, I agree, Jay. That's a, that, that's one of the big meta stories of the decade is the mm. transition, uh, to the spaceflight infrastructure that we have today versus 10 years ago. So the, the, you know, big things are reusable rockets, uh, basically commercial companies, you know, participating in the space race. And also we're ending the decade with pretty firm plans to return to the moon, which we didn't have yep. in 2010. So I think those are the yeah, big, the big, yeah, space. Yeah. The- yeah, that ties into Stories. one of my big, big, uh, you know, news items for the decade was the, you know, the return to the moon. People, I think yeah. in the future, we will look back to the teens and saying, you know, you know, th- th- that's the decade when other countries were landed or attempted to land, um, uh, landers on, on the moon. And I mean, China had an amazing, yeah, uh, China success did well. with their, with their oh, dark yeah. moon lander. India right? almost made it. Uh, India and, uh, came and, so yeah. close. And there's solid for the first time in so long, solid plans, fairly solid to you know, to get back to the moon, the orbiting station, and uh, to really make a presence, a permanent presence there. And I'm re- I really hope we stick to it um, and to get there on a you know on a realistic time time frame, of course. And there's no way we're going to be, be doing stuff like that in just a few years. But uh, just keep plugging away and get back in, on the moon so we could finally get our moon base alpha. Please, people. 
Please. You know, Bob, I'm also happy that this whole illusion of going to Mars in the short term yeah. is just kind yeah. of evaporated. Like, good. Yeah, that, we, let's that not had, waste our time. That had legs in the early part of the decade, oh, but it's, fade, it's faded out since. It's... It's lost that headline. Yeah, it's we're clearly not that, right. We're clearly not ready for that, and we need we need a, you know we need a first step, and that first step is clearly the moon. Well, how about the exoplanets that were uncovered, discovered in this decade? Oh yeah, God. huge, I mean, right. huge number of exoplanets. If you think about it, just in, we knew about exoplanets in the 1990s. There were a few out there that were discovered, but really until Kepler, the Kepler Space Telescope launched in 2009 that's when really that whole horizon yeah, opened up and the sky totally opened up to us where are we now in the thousands over four thousand yeah something like that uh, ob- uh exoplanets now in just such a relatively short amount of time knowing what we knew before and it definitely will go down in history as the decade in which our exoplanet discovery and that area of astronomy really took off yeah mm-hmm. true Hadn't thought of that. Yeah, I mean, and, and along those lines, this was the decade that Pluto went from a fuzzy blob to a crystal clear <sighs> world. Sure, amazing. Right. This was the decade well. we learned what Pluto really looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Oh gosh, that was new, so new great. Horizons to 2015. Middle so of the successful. Yeah. What a beautiful surprise that was. It's not just this white icy planet, which which we thought, right? Of course, mm. it's you know this this uh, it's amazingly distant complex, distant yeah. object, and it's. And it's just just a snowball, probably you know, not not complex at all. There was no hint of the complex surface with our, you know, with the conventional telescopes. You had to get really close to really see, like the diversity of of uh, mm-hmm. you know of, of topography. Jeez. So we already mentioned CRISPR for the year, but I think CRISPR mm-hmm. is one of the big science stories of the decade. This is the this Agreed. is the oh decade God. of CRISPR. Absolutely. Another one, you know, I'll give you two words. I think this is a big story this decade. Deep learning. Bob, right? Yeah. Yeah, I this mean, is this definitely we definitely saw a lot of amazing um advances with using deep learning AI machine learning techniques. And uh some of the biggest was uh creating a, a, a Go champion and a and a chess champion that are uh, basically unbeatable by standard humans. I mean they are just mm-hmm. at a class. They are at a class that, that no that nobody uh really legit no no person could 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 beat. Um they and the the, the advantage of using these deep learning and other AI techniques uh, like uh, like Monte Carlo search and all and that kind of stuff. Uh, the big advantage is that is that you have a system that learns just from the rules, just from the rules themselves. There's no input from a human, and with with its inevitable biases, and it's just purely going from just just the rules, and then playing millions of games against itself to to to, to have an appreciation of the game far beyond what what a, what a person can have in a skill level. I mean, when AlphaGo came out, they and they knew it was going to be amazing. They didn't even Put, they didn't even pit it against a person because what's the point? They pit it against the other, you know, the, the most previous supercomputer champion, and and it, and, it, and it beat its butt. So uh, yeah, just amazing advances as long as we keep it in perspective that you know deep learning is not you know is not be all end all of AI. It's just one of the tools, and it's going to have its its domain of yeah. supremacy. But there's lots of things we need to pull into play if we ever want to reach some of the goals of uh, you know artificial general intelligence or super intelligence or anything like that. We're definitely going to need to pull into you know, bring in a lot of other things besides just deep learning. But yeah, it definitely the decade of deep learning, and who knows, you know, with car navigation and other things, where where it's going to go? It's going to be it's a, it's an amazing story to track. 
there's a lot that happened in the last decade when it comes to climate change. Um, and most all of those things are really, really bad. The only really good thing that yeah. I think has come out of, you know, what was discovered at Paris, what was discovered, oh gosh, even just recently, which was, um, you know, exceptionally brutal. Um, the only really good thing that's come out of this is basically that there's a, a hardcore activist, um, uh, right, you know, kind of blowback that's that's happening. We're seeing that um, the ice sheets are shrinking. Oh my gosh, guys! Like, have you seen yeah. some of these gifs mm. of like the beginning of the decade to the end of the decade? Yeah, they're this decade. Oh, yeah, just really? this decade. They're horrific. And so, I mean, I I don't want want to keep kind of depressing us about it, but and I think do it, it. It's just one of those things that, like we said before, it's such a big deal that it almost kind of can overwhelm everything else. Mm. You know, on my um on on Talk Nerdy, the show, my my personal podcast, I always ask people. You guys have all been on it, so you remember. I ask everybody the same two questions at the end of the show. What is the thing that you know you're most kind of uh, concerned about, worried about, legitimately? Um, kind of like maybe even cynical or pessimistic about and on the flip side what are you most excited about when you look to the future and i mean 95 percent of people say climate change and these are scientists mm -hmm. from every discipline scientists who have their heads in some of the most esoteric research and some of the most broad research and most translational research and i mean climate change is what is just gripping everybody right now and it's it's the reason it's such a tough thing is because it feels so much bigger than ourselves. One more from me before we move on to the different category. Uh, this this decade completely transformed our understanding of human evolution. Really? There's, there's a lot of little stories in here. But it, it, yeah, really. So remember, this was in this decade we discovered Homo naledi, and, mm -hmm. as well sure, yeah. as Australopithecus sediba. This is also the year that we just really discovered the Denisovans, and they were discovered by genetics guys. This is the year where we yeah. sequenced the Neanderthal genome and was able to use that information plus you know the, the human genome to say, hey, this this species right here, this little finger bone, is not Neanderthal or human. This is something else. This is the Denisovan, right? So we, we have a much sharper look at human evolution. It's obviously more complicated. It's always getting more and more complicated. And the whole side uh, issue of the Homo floresiensis, that, you know, the hobbit, and also other related, right. like you guys, we didn't even talk about Homo luzonensis, which is a related yeah, a whole species. New one. Yeah. yeah. What? And yeah, isn't just, there also a new Australopithecus from yeah. this year? Yeah. Yes, it's just you know, amazingly complicated. Just so many stories of human evolution. It's just really been, it has been transformed, our understanding of human evolution in the last decade. So that, that absolutely deserves a mention. All right, so now we're going to transition from the best science of the year and decade to the worst pseudoscience of the year. And then maybe a little bit of the decade. So... Uh, I'm gonna. I'll start with one, and then you guys will will go around, and we'll just keep going until we run out of things to talk about. So the top <laughs> of my list was the, the flat Earth thing again, um, because yeah. the movie Behind the Curve came out. Oh yeah, and that really was. We interviewed. It was also one of my favorite interviews of the year. We interviewed the director of that, and it really exposed the the intellectual, I think, uh, disingenuousness. Of the of the the flat Earth 
movement and also the um you know there's a spectrum of people in the movement from people who are like dedicated conspiracy theorists people who are probably mentally ill and then people who are just riding this wave and are not you know they're they're not as intellectually curious or honest as the, as they would need to be and i'm just for sure perpetually dumbfounded that there are people in this world who could get themselves to a place intellectually that they think everything is fake, like everything, you, which is what you have to think in order to believe the world is freaking flat. Yeah. Right. So right. that is the return of serious flat eartherism is, is the surprise pseudoscience of the decade. Definitely. Yeah. And it's also a sign of the apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I read about that in the Bible. You know what freaks me out, Steve? Like because of the resurgence in flat earth nonsense, like I forgot what it was like to think about flat earth 15 years ago, mm-hmm. but I had a, a little memory of, of what it felt like. And when I thought of, when I used to think of flat earth, it used to be like, oh, that was like what people thought like hundreds of years ago. Like it had this super antique vibe to it. Yeah. Uh, and now it doesn't have that at all. It, it, now it's like, it's its own thing now. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. What else got it? So the pseudoscience of the year. What's the pseudoscience story of the year? Do you guys think it has to so, be? It has to be the measles yeah. coming back and the lack yeah. of va- vaccinations. Yeah, that's people, huge. Yeah, know, that's people, one of the ones I wrote down. People using religion to opt out of vaccinations because of a pseudoscience belief, which has nothing to do with religion. Mm-hmm. You know what can you say? We almost got rid of pol. We almost got rid of. We we pretty much did get rid of polio. We're close. Uh, yeah, we're damn close. We've been very very close for a long time. You know, measles went down to below a thousand incidents a year, even even lower. Well, um, you know, it went down. It went to single digits in the U.S. Yeah. Worldwide, it never got that low. Worldwide, but but it's definitely it, it's roaring back. Yeah, bounce back. Yeah. That's the real thing. When it, when I mean, the reason when we say anti-vax of the decade, we say measles, is because it has become kind of the the icon of the yeah. anti-vax movement gaining traction. Mm-hmm. Kids are dying, like literally dying. And of course, we just mentioned this in a recent show when we were, um, as of the time this airs, when we were in Australia, we talked about uh, what's going on in Samoa right now and the fact that like kids are dying and that an anti-vaxxer, an open anti-vaxxer advocate or activist or whatever the hell you want to call him, got thrown in the slammer for good reason. I mean, the rhetoric is is directly leading to death, and it always has, but I think that it's scary that there's kind of like a, a groupthink mentality that's that's going on right now. Yeah, and it, it's so it, – it flies in the face just like Flat Earth. Like, there is no reason behind it. There is nobody – Anybody that's buying into this bullshit and just simply can't see the phenomenal statistics behind the most successful medical intervention ever created by man has been vaccines. That's it. Which means directly there's more proof that vaccines work than anything else that have ever been done medically ever, including putting Band-Aids on boobs. But what about sanitation? That's You're washing big, your hands. Yeah, I wouldn't call stuff. that. Right. But, but is that – that's beyond medical. That's like public health, yeah. right? Well, I would still kind of consider, I would count that as medical, though. I agree. Okay. I and think like antiseptic, like yeah, like, do, like yeah. Sa- the whole germ surgery. theory. Mm-hmm. I mean, kind of is well, a top yeah. is a top level thing. Germ theory. Then under germ theory, you have sanitation and vaccines. I think as like co-equal manifestations of germ theory, uh, and probably with equal impact. 
You know? But that doesn't d- dilute your point, Jay. Like it is, no, yeah, it has been massively. It I mean, it saved millions of people's lives. Yeah. Oh gosh. And I, you know, of course, I agree with you guys. I mean, if you want to want to zoom out to just you know understanding that germs are there, sure. But the idea that okay, we are going to develop some type of remedy to deal with X, Y, and Z, which is a me- you know which you can say are medical conditions or a medical concern or health hazard. You know, vaccinations, like, it just gets rid of so much pain and suffering and death. Yeah, think about it. It's not just that. I mean, we, we, Ebola came back this year, right? And mm-hmm. the the our main tool stemming the tide of Ebola, the reason why it's only the second biggest outbreak and not the first biggest outbreak, is because of the vaccine. We have an effective yeah, vaccine for Ebola. Vaccine. We developed a freaking Amazing. vaccine for Ebola. And that's good. That's that pretty could, awesome. That could prevent Ebola from massively breaking out, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, pandemic uh, scale. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Millions. Oh, and the thing man. is, we need vaccines for things like Ebola because they're going to keep happening. We're going to yeah. keep seeing outbreaks yeah. just because right. it happens in nature. Yeah. I mean, right. it's and with our travel, our air travel, we could spread it far and wide very quickly. Oh, for sure, we're more globally connected than ever before. Even in places that are very remote and places that are very poor, people are flying, people are connecting. And you know, Jay, I think even to kind of bolster the point that you were making, and then the point um, Bob and Steve that you guys made about germ theory. The sad thing is there is a cross section, like it's a Venn diagram situation of anti-vaxxers that are also germ theory deniers. Yeah. Oh, God. Mm. <laughs> like there are literally people. I mean, germ that's like up there with denial. flat earth, right? Like people who want to drink raw milk because they think that when you pasteurize it and you actually get rid of the pathogens that somehow you're also getting rid of all the natural good things your body's supposed to have. Oh, I mean, there are people who drink Remember the w- raw water craze? Oh god, <laughs> raw water! Uh, I had forgotten. Uh, I forgotten. I breathe raw air. That's what I do for my health. You guys ever feel like? I've, I think I've asked you this before. You ever feel like, oh god, I've had enough? At like you know, daily? Yeah, like you know. <laughs> I mean, hours. I, I think this decade, my fatigue really started to set in because. As much as I see just the brilliant side of humanity and I've met so many incredible people doing all of this, we are so deeply exposed to this a very dirty, dark, so painfully stupid part of humanity yeah. that is – it's just it's just pain. It's just pain. Like you, your child died because you didn't want to give them – a free vaccine. A vaccine. <laughs> yeah, no, hey, break that, that down, Kara. Break that down, Kara. <laughs> as soon as I said it, I'm like, Kara's going to do it. That's an awesome one. But, <laughs> you know, I didn't mean to make that funny at all. But, you, you know, that's where we're at. It wasn't like, oh, um, you know, we couldn't get on the horse and buggy and drive three days to the only doctor that was within 100 miles. Unless it's you're like, drive down to the supermarket and go to the pharmacy and get a vaccine for free. You can't do yeah. that? It's it's misinformation. It's They are full of misinformation. But the thing is... A dedicated it's, it's campaign not, of propaganda. It's a dedicated campaign of propaganda that is flourishing within a larger culture. And that's why... Sorry to skip ahead, yeah. Steve. I'm not mm. trying to take the conversation ahead, there. No, but that's why, not to be political, because this hasn't, you know, 
nothing and everything to do with politics at the same time. But my skeptical jackass of the year has to be Donald Trump. And it's not because he is the guy who is laying the groundwork for this kind of misinformation. And it's not because, you know, he's not the only person doing it. And he didn't invent you know, fake news, even though he thinks he he thinks he did. But he is the leader of a very powerful government. And he is on the world stage. And he not just perpetuates this kind of stuff, but he like relishes in it. Mm-hmm. And I think that anti-vax and yeah, all of the things that we've been talking about today, all of these like pseudoscientific problems are like grist for his mill. Yeah, basically, you know, his, you know, facts don't matter, alternative reality mm-hmm. kind of campaign that he's running is affecting the world in a very, very yeah. negative way. I agree. I would go further. I, I'd put him on the uh, pseudoscientist of the, of the decade. You know, yeah. In terms of that negative impact. He's got quite a history. <laughs> but he's also as much a symptom as a, a cause. Exactly. You know? sure. Yeah, that's the point yeah, I was trying sure. to make. The problem is he's he's a symptom that has become kind of pathognomonic. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's a symptom, but ultimately it's a cancer that's just eating away at everything. Mm-hmm. Ugh. That's yeah. another thing. You know, it's hard to understand. Um, you know, yeah. if you just strip out the politics, you know, I, I don't think that he has any kind of real science understanding at all. He doesn't get it. Doesn't, doesn't get, it. Get, it. get it. Science is, he'll use it as propaganda. He's the embodiment of intellectual laziness. He basically oh, yeah. is the anti-skeptic. He stands for everything that is against what we stand for, you know, as science and critical thinking communicators, in my opinion. Uh, in, so if we're going to be mixing, it's easy to mix day and dec- I mean, year and decade yeah. and, and all that. Mm-hmm. So I'll give my sort of uh, my hybrid one, Jay. The, uh, so there's, there's <laughs> two, two specific pseudoscience news items that relate to one of my on my short list of pseudoscience of the decade, and that's acupuncture. So there was a study. Interesting. That was, we talked about where they basically, these acupuncturists are trying to quantify acupuncture points. And they inadvertently proved that they don't exist, right? I love when that happens. Do not exist. (laughs) But of course, they don't state it that way. It's like, wow, it's it's not clear how many and how big they are, right? Yeah, there's so many and they're so big that the whole body is one giant acupuncture point, which is another way of saying they don't exist, right? (laughs) Everywhere's um, an acupuncture. Yeah, no, basically. <laughs> and then there was one that was, it was quantum acupuncture. And it's exact, you know, like this is oh, something yes. that is so classic. We could have made oh, this up. Like oh, it's yeah. basically just justifying acupuncture with quantum woo. I don't need to even go into more detail about that. But I, Please yeah. don't. Acupuncture wow. definitely gets my vote as one of the pseudosciences of the decade because I do. it is the alternative medicine that has infiltrated mainstream medicine the most, and it is based entirely on a campaign of misinformation and sometimes outright lies and also fraud. Mm-hmm. It's like everything – it's a perfect storm, everything wrapped up into one – and I just don't know why it's getting such a free pass uh, in, in the West. It's just really frustrating. Among uh, college medical. Yeah, in medical schools. University, you know, yeah, in medical universities. schools, universities, hospitals. Yeah. It is embraced. It's, it, <laughs> Celebrated. It, it's the same story over and over again. There's a study which shows that acupuncture doesn't work, and the, the authors claim it shows it does work. There is a... Your review of articles showing that it doesn't work for X, and those are used to justify using it for X. It's like they, they've just successfully 
completely turned the scientific evidence on its on its head, and it's like everyone's buying it. What the, the hell is going on? The disconnect is remarkable. It's remarkable yeah. among the scientific community and the because the they don't community. care if you're either you're an acupuncturist, you're a skeptic, or you don't give a shit. That's the problem. It's the shruggy Shruggies. effect. It's the yeah, shruggy Shruggies. effect. They just yep. don't care enough to to get that one layer deep. So they're just accepting the story that's being told to them by the proponents. You know, and then what, you know, when I actually have the opportunity to explain it to, to, to somebody like, oh, wow, that's crazy. Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> five yes, minutes ago exactly. you were tolerating it. You know, that's, that's the problem. It really is exposing, just like I think Trump is exposing a lot of weaknesses in our political system. I think acupuncture is, is the sort of the canary in the coal mine exposing a lot of weaknesses in our medical academic system. Look, I don't mean to equate something as important as medical quackery with things like ghosts, Bigfoots, and aliens. But I call it cultural saturation. These yeah. things become saturated yeah. in the culture and accepted at all mm -hmm. levels. Media, professionals, uh, marketing and strategy companies, they, they take it, they run with it, and it blends in. It's part mm -hmm. of the background noise, and it's very tough to sort of suss out. Yeah, because they're the normalized. Reality. It gets exactly. normalized, right? Yeah. It absolutely does. It's like natural. The same thing happened to the whole appeal to nature fallacy, but that happened 150 years ago, 200 years ago, and it became so ingrained in the culture, we're still dealing with it. It's basically permanently embedded in the culture now. But you could trace that back hundreds of years. Crazy. You know? But that's what we're dealing with. Yep. What else? I got a few more on my list, but I'll give you guys a chance to give either, you know, year, decade. What do you got? Pseudoscience. This is all worse pseudoscience. Yeah. What's the, what, are the, what were the big pseudoscience stories of the year? And if you want to relate them to the decade, you can. I mean, I think in terms of the decade, and unfortunately, it's something that's been going on for thousands of years. But in terms of the decade, the biggest thing when I really like rack my brain and I think about, oh, what's looking bad? Okay, measles is looking bad. Oh, the state of the climate is looking bad. Um, you know, den climate denialism, all that stuff. Um, one of the things that really tugs at my heartstrings is the use of endangered species for oh, traditional yeah. Chinese medicine. And it's, yeah. it's just getting worse because the appetite is getting bigger. And this is the decade where we really saw, for example, like the Asian pangolin get so wiped out that we started to move into Africa and decimate the African pangolin. You know, this mm -hmm. is the decade where we started, we're, we're on the brink of extinction as it is because of biodiversity loss, because of, you know, climate change and pollution and uh, deforestation and all of these reasons. And, and yet we're still killing animals that are severely threatened, illegal. Like to sell on a horn. black market yeah. yeah like rhino horns so that people can get boners like mm -hmm. it's and, 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 and they not don't, even get boners yeah, it doesn't, not get even get, yeah, it doesn't even work so people can think they're going to get a boner right placebo so uh. they can cut it with viagra when we were in uh, <laughs> yeah, australia you. they had shark fin soup on the menu i know oh, i saw that I and i was really that. like Oof. yeah that's yeah that's nasty. it happens man it's, it's so yeah it's, it's so hard awful. It's just, and again, it kind of feels like this whack-a-mole game, right? Like that we're yeah. not solving the problem as long as we are um, busting people for trafficking, as long as we're, I mean, we are solving the problem because we're, we're, you know, rescuing animals along the way. But ultimately, how do we change the appetite for these things? That's the problem. If there were no want, if there were no craving, if there were no need, then there would be no market. It's a consumer market. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right. in, in which in some cases it's hundreds of millions of people demanding the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. this was the year that uh, UFOs made a made a comeback. 
Oh, right? yeah, it oh, is. Oh, yes, yeah. Wasn't something released, like some FBI file or something? Yeah, so there or... was the, a lot of the uh, like the Air Force videos uh, got a lot of play. Remember there was the Storm Area 51 fiasco? Oh, sure, yeah, that oh, was yeah. a great yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think last year Fortunately, it was astrology, no this year it was UFOs. I mean, these classic yeah, pseudosciences just don't go away and they just crop up again, which is why we have to... Sp- you know, be vigilant and and never really get to take our eye off those balls. You know, there was that crank documentary, Laser Bob Laser. You yep, guys Lazar, remember Bob Lazar? Lazar, yes. Cool and it was like Bob it was Lazar. huge all over Netflix. <laughs> like it rated really high. Yeah. People watched it. Yeah, people forget about it, and then the same old claims get repackaged, and a new generation is like, "Ooh, this is cool!" Like, no, sorry, been there, done that. <laughs> right. Well, you know? Steve, this is obvious, and I've talked about it a lot in the last few months. But this whole global warming denialism. Mm-hmm. Um, it's personal for me. Wasn't Jaws three personal? Was that the one where? Jo- <laughs> oh, this time it's personal. Yeah, Jaws came yeah. back and he was mad. It was like his. The people were the bad guys. I don't know. Um, Nobody knows because <laughs> no saw one Jaws saw 3? it. No one saw it. Jay. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I saw it. I saw, I remember seeing a scratch and sniff movie when I was a kid. So like I've seen them. All. What? So <laughs> yes, oh yeah, just, yeah. Is I that saw one that. Of those false you? memories. Like were you in one of those? No, studies? I saw that scratch. No, we did it. It was Wait. hair, right? It was the movie. <laughs> How do you hair. scratch? I think you're Why right, would you dude. sniff that? And then, and like, if it would flash a number on the screen, you would scratch that box, and you would get the odor of whatever was on the screen. Oh, so, of it course, required a little gross. piece of paper. Yeah, so sometimes it was good. Sometimes it's like, oh, who left this dirty gym sock here? And everyone's <laughs> like, oh yeah, like I'm going to scratch that number off. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I wonder why that didn't become a uh, raging phenomenon. Right, in, right. In that, that, was, that was a one-off. You know, but the, the, the global <laughs> warming thing, it's kind of like um, vaccines where you know we're arguing and there's just no way to make the certain kinds of people like really be able to absorb the correct information because the misinformation is just so well executed. Yeah. It's so pervasive. Yeah. Yeah, the difference though is that it's almost, I think it's worse with the global warming denial because, and hear me out because I'm not minimizing vaccine denial. Most physicians don't deny vaccines. It's the actual end user, right? Because there's a misinformation campaign from a handful of, you know, celebrities who have no power except the power of the microphone. And then you end up with individual people saying, I don't want to vaccinate my children, which is horrible and does contribute to the breakdown of the, of herd immunity, which is bad. On the flip side of that, when it comes to global warming denial, whether or not a handful of people who have been indoctrinated by Fox News believe it doesn't have nearly as strong an effect as the fact that there are people in high-level positions of power, decision makers, and whether they actually don't believe in it or not, they are maintaining and uh, perpetuating the rhetoric, and it's leading to inaction at, at the highest levels. Like, it's horrible. It's like the people in charge are denying that the climate is changing. Yeah. That's bad. I guess they think it's bad for business in a way, in a certain sense. It's 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 the party line. They're towing the freaking party line. And and yeah. they're, you know, they're worried about the next four years and it doesn't look good for their campaign and it doesn't seem to fit with the capitalist narrative and blah, blah, blah. And like I said, whether they actually believe it or yeah. they don't, they're going to keep doing this. And the fact that they're perpetuating this is actually leading to literally, I mean, ex- existential. I know I keep using that word eschatological outcome so i got another year decade link link up okay so this is the the story of the year is the grain-free dog food as you (laughs) know 
Yeah. <laughs> and that ties into a one of the, I think, big pseudoscience stories of the decade, which is the whole clean eating craze. Oh, sure. Just everything, everything that is underneath clean eating, and which, which itself relates to an even bigger umbrella, which is you know the whole uh, goop woo nonsense yeah um yeah, yeah, yeah. basically the whole self uh, the whole self help industry <laughs> Which is celery water. Remember that one? Yeah, the celery, celery, water. Yeah. the celery craze, or just eating celery juicing. Yeah. yeah, celery Fixes juice. Everything. And I have my pick for the worst reporting of the year. Yes, was the reporting on the study showing that kids were growing horns because of their cell phones? You guys, remember? oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah oh, I forgot about that. That, that yeah. was the whole yeah. total total nonsense. Kids and the horns, yes. and that yeah. like lots of people covered that. Like, yeah, legitimate science outlets that covered went that. viral. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Yikes. All right. So let's, we're, I don't think we're going to do this for the decade because that's too big, but we're just going to talk about who is the skeptical jackass of the year and then who's the skeptical hero of the year. So I'll give you my skeptical jackass of the year okay. is, I'm going to totally butcher this name, Zuetao Xiao. Right, so this is yeah. He's a Chinese scientist. Yeah, the Chinese scientist, Chinese immunologist. So get this, this guy. I don't think we don't think we got to the story on the show. He is the head of scientific integrity for China. Gosh. And it was basically he was exposed as committing like career long fraud on like tons and tons of papers that he was involved with. Not the guy just in charge with integrity. Yes. The, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So talk about a you know a devastating blow to faith in the institutions of science. Now hopefully this damage will be limited to China itself, but it's All still right. not good for science in general. Uh, and this is not just like cutting corners or whatever. Th- there is pretty solid evidence of actual fabrication of data, which is as bad as it gets, right? A lot of a lot of it has to do with images because the kind of research he publishes involves a lot of images of of like cells or of Western blots or you know things like that. You know you, where the picture is the data, and. And once it was found in one of his papers, like people started going through all of his papers, like holy shit, this is like through everything. You know how you could see when a, when a picture is photoshopped because there's yeah. like it's identical in specific little details. Yeah. So there's yeah there's like evidence of photoshopped, duplicated, reused, recycled images, you know, turned around and whatever. But uh, pretty pretty uh, conclusive stuff, and. His response was to basically throw his the people who work in his lab under the bus. Of course, oh, basically that's, blamed that's the worst the people who say, "Oh, I don't know, with somebody underneath me must have been doing some shenanigans." But he basically tried to say, "I apologize for not like supervising my people more closely." You know, uh-huh. uh, total scumbag. And yeah, this is the guy who was in charge of scientific integrity for China. Yikes. Yeah, that's even worse than... See, when you mentioned his name, because I don't remember the name of the scientist who just decided to try out CRISPR without any approval from anybody. Yeah, he, that was Hay. Oh, oh Hay. Hey, oh, yeah, Hay. Yeah, um, yeah um, I thought maybe you were going to say that he was the worst. Of yeah, him, he definitely gets an honorable... Hay is probably even Yeah, worse. he gets an honorable mention, but I think yeah. this is bigger. I think this is bigger. My honorable mentions are uh, Tucker Carlson for claiming that the metric system is a conspiracy. Oh, Tucker Carlson's such an idiot. Yeah, and Jonathan Strickland... Strickland? Oh, yeah. Jonathan Strickland for saying that medicine is sorcery. 
to 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 maybe someone like him it is yeah <laughs> so technologically advanced that to some people it's magic yeah steve i my psyche rejected right. ever hearing that comment yeah <laughs> <laughs> here, here, here we go you want to hear something related to sorcery how about the reverend rafael jarosowicz mm-hmm. who is part of gdansk's mother of church parish in poland who led a book burning in 2019. They burned books considered to be sacrilegious. That's a Simpsons that's a Simpsons term. I borrowed it. I borrowed it from Homer Simpson. (laughs) (laughs) I know it is so good. Homer eats a wafer sacrilegious. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I added it anyway. They burned books from the Harry Potter series. Sure. Oh, and Jay, I'm sorry. They also burnt the Twilight series books. I know oh, that no, hits you in a special place. The world of book burning returned to the world in 2019. Oh, and I'll have an honorable mention as well. Dr. Young Hae Chi, an instructor in Korean at Oxford's Oriental Institute, in which a videotape was released of a prior lecture he gave, which was titled, let's see, Alien Abduction and the Environmental Crisis. <laughs> Essentially, wait, wait, what? Essentially, yeah. So it's a study basically saying that, you know, aliens have, have been visiting the Earth and warning us of the damage that we're causing to the Earth, and we've been not paying attention to, uh, to the aliens, and there's been abductions along the way as well. And he spent an hour at uh, Oxford, at a, in a lecture at Oxford University. talking about this i don't know why the videotape only came out years later in 2019 but there you have it yet another another person of higher higher learning uh buying into the whole alien abduction world can't you can't help but think of the likes of john mack Mm -hmm. at harvard who was probably the poster child for that in the 80s and, and 90s bob do you have anything i mean i just really picked um beyond what you guys have i i picked uh RFK for pseudoscientist of the year because of the, the you know just the fact that um, he could still be you know so just so adamant about it given the the measles year we had and the article that his family published uh, about him do you remember that article back I think it was in April mm-hmm. that his mm-hmm. family wrote about him saying sorry you know we love you Bobby but damn boy what are you doing um, it's kind of like the the gist of, of what uh, you know his closest relatives uh, have wrote about him so he's but he's kind of RFK is kind of a he's kind of like a perennial choice you know he's yeah just, he shows up every few years and makes ridiculous statements about vaccination. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah, he's a conspiracy theorist when it comes to oh, yeah. vaccines. Big yeah. time. So, Kara, why don't you go first then for Skeptical Hero of the Year? All right. So I actually picked two um, women writers who aren't just writers but have, like, amazing careers in their own right. The first one is Dr. Jen Gunter, who's an OBGYN in yeah. Canada. A lot of people call her Twitter's gynecologist. And she had a new book this year called The Vagina Bible, The Vulva and the Vagina, Separating the Myth from the Medicine. Um, so she has become kind of like uh, a skeptical hero of mine and many other people's when it comes to debunking myths about um, women's health and um, really, I think, taking up a very feminist cause in doing so and kind of showing how um, historically uh, there has been a lot of sexism and a lot of misogyny that's really tied into anti-science and pseudoscientific views uh, towards women. And then kind of on the same tack, I chose 
Angela Saini. She's a science journalist and broadcaster um, in the UK, and she wrote a brilliant book this year called Superior, The Return of Race Science. And I think in some ways what Jen Gunter is doing for women's health, Angela is doing for this kind of modern eugenics movement and this modern pseudoscientific push by the um, far right or by white nationalists to try to like co-opt science and psychology to further some sort of cause of white supremacy. Um, and, and she just really does a beautiful job of, as a science journalist, like debunking that, showing, I think these are kind of things that uh, fall beautifully into that pseudoscience category, like stuff that looks like science and has the sheen of science. And maybe they'll pick and choose some legitimate scientific nuggets to lay into the argument so that, um, um, they sound like sophisticated scientific arguments for something that really are are baseless and and you know deeply immoral. So yeah, I pick Angela Saini and uh, Jen Gunter for my cool. uh, skeptical heroes of the of the year. Yeah, good choices. Yeah, Gunter's mm. really been taking on like goop and all of that. That yeah, nonsense. she's awesome. Thank goodness. No jade yeah. eggs in your vagina. Yeah, oh, gosh. <laughs> I wouldn't think we'd have to say this, but <sighs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so I'll, my choice for skeptical hero of the year is Kevin Fulta. And, really? Yeah, the reason is Very that cool. he yeah, he is one of these guys who's just sort of laboring. Like he's tireless, working in the background, doing just day-to-day grunt work of science communication in a very challenging field, you know, promoting biotech literacy. He gives tons of of talks traveling around the country, tons you know, he produces a podcast talking biotech, just absolutely tireless, and he gets zero love, this guy. Also, he's not supported by his university. He's not yeah, being backed up. Uh, I'll have more to say about that in the future, in the, you know, when things play out, but that's part of the reason why I'm picking him. But mm-hmm. he's, yeah, he, he he's really has an uphill battle, and, uh, but he's, you know, he remains a tireless advocate of, uh, of, good solid science communication where it is needed the most you know in, in for the topic where the disconnect between public opinion and scientific opinion is the greatest bob j evan yeah for me for me the it was it, the first thing that le- leaped to mind that was the 16 year old swedish climate activist greta, oh, greta. she doesn't even need a, a last name anymore greta that's because you can't <laughs> pronounce it uh, hey shut up <laughs> Tun- Tunberg. Yeah. Tunberg. Oh. Hey, that's I mean um, that's a well Thornburg. So, what a year! What what an amazing year she had. I mean, she does this like personal protest for climate action, and then it goes global eventually, culminating in I think was the highest protest, the biggest protest of its kind. Seven point six million protesters it kind of swept the planet, and then. Then was it September 23rd, I think, she talks to world leaders at the summit and she has her famous, her famous quote, for more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. Right here, right now is where we draw the line. The world is waking up and change is coming, whether you like it or not. And of course, her delivery was much better than mine. Uh, so amazing. And then, of course, the I love the, like, the, the how dare you? Like she was like, right. almost oh, yeah. Years, she, you know? Yeah, she, was, she did fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the icing on the cake named Time's Person of the Year. I mean, come on, that was fantastic. 
fantastic. Totally, they totally deserved it. It's amazing. Yeah, that was a good choice. And uh, you guys probably saw this, but what an honor that President Trump actually tweeted to her that she has an anger management problem yeah. and should just chill and mm-hmm. watch a movie with her friends. Yep. And then she Badge of honor. changed Updated her Twitter her bio yep. to a teenager with an anger management problem, Touché currently credit. chilling and watching a movie with my friends. <laughs> I love her so much. Yeah, she is. She is incredible. I mean, first off, it's funny to think that a, a 16-year-old becomes the embodiment of this movement. It's perfect. It's it's totally apropos for the situation that a very young person becomes the voice. She has a tone in her voice that is – I would not want to be on the receiving side. <laughs> right. Because it is very powerful. You know, when I listen to her speak – uh, it, it just it just gets it like it, it can cut you you know it is it is very it's very perfect I think it just it just totally is what the world needed is someone someone to speak as intelligently as she can and, and being that young and being like someone that can legitimately say you know I am going to inherit this nonsense from you and how dare you not get on with it and she's a hundred percent right I'm sorry to say you know like it, it sucks but you know a 16 year old has to come out and tell the the world politicians that they have to get off their asses and do something about global warming it's pretty goddamn pathetic yeah that, that like it has she's to... like it's not my job guys like don't leave it for the freaking children yep you did so this. i'm almost reluctant to mention this but it, okay. i do think it's it is worth mentioning that okay. uh, that greta thunberg has autism Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You guys oh, yeah. aware of that? Of course. Yeah, yeah. and that's She's why it was such a big deal yeah. when Trump yeah, was but, like yes. bullying her online. But it's like it's a it's a non-issue. It's fantastic that it's a non-issue. But for anyone who is familiar with with this, what she's doing is incredibly challenging for, yeah. for anybody, let alone somebody with you know with even mild autism, because right. the, you know that is that creates difficulty with you know social situations mm-hmm. and in socially engaging but she so she's overcoming you know incredible challenges in order to do what she's doing and, and she, she calls it her superpower that. which i thought was a yeah. great great way to characterize it yeah, yeah. she it's, it's she's turning it into this is you know again, I, I you know there was a movement to like to think about things like autism not as a quote-unquote disorder but as mm-hmm. like a, a being difference. A, yeah a, a difference. difference like it's it's not neurotypical and i do think at the mild end of the spectrum i think that is an appropriate way to look at it you know obviously they're at the more severe end of the spectrum it, it does become a clear-cut disorder i think you can't deny that in my opinion but it's just fantastic that she is you know on the world stage doing what she's doing being an activist she's 16 years old yeah. 16 years old. So clearly, clearly she has learned to embrace and overcome whatever challenges this has thrown at her. And that is fantastic. And and the thing is, people like love to shame her and say that like she's manipulated by her parents or she's doing it for the for the I don't know um, attention or the whatever. Which is exactly the opposite of what somebody would do. We thought exactly do something for attention. And she's been so good about really just cutting that down and being like, I don't want to have to do this. But if nobody yeah. else is going to, I'm going to have to. I have uh, Mihai Andre. You don't know who he is, but you do now. <laughs> okay. Editor-in-chief of ZME Science, online science website, which I've been frequenting quite a bit, especially in 2019. And uh, he and I have actually exchanged a couple uh, nice emails and some pleasantries back and forth. I 
uh, had emailed him and told him that I enjoyed his website very much. Uh, and obviously, he also replied and said that he enjoys the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe uh, equally and his entire staff there. But it's it's an excellent website for science uh, reporting. And they put out a lot of articles every day and very current, very up-to-date, uh, all good, no bad science reporting, not that I've detected. So they're a very reliable site. But also they did something else. They released something called the Pocket Guide to Pseudoscience, which was a little little book, online book. It was free, made pu- public to everybody. And I read it, and it does a damn fine job of really nailing down what pseudoscience is, how to tell it apart from, from actual science, and a lot of the things that, you know, obviously we talk about on our show in our book as well. It was uh, it was nice to read that as well, and he put it together so so wonderfully that, to me... He became uh, my uh, skeptical hero of the year. Cool. Nice. So thank you, Mihai. All right. Well, uh, it's time for the In Memoriam segment where we talk about scientists and skeptics and people of note that we want to talk about that we that we lost over the past year. Uh, we obviously can never get to everybody, and we try to steer away from just you know straight-up celebrities uh, and talk about people who meant something to us personally or were part of the skeptical movement or just were scientists that deserve to get attention for what they did. And, you know, th- this is obviously an opportunity to do that. So I think at the top of the list is probably Murray Gell-Mann. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, definitely the biggest yeah. name. Yeah, particle physicist, you know, friend of the skeptical movement. He was 89 years old. I always love to see those big numbers, you know, especially when Mark, dude. Cool, cool people, yeah, you know, pass away. You like to see that they lived in a good, long, uh, good, long life. So, DC Fontana, um, she was a, a writer who wrote on the original Star Trek series and had written some of the best episodes that came out of the original series. But most importantly, she. She wrote about the character Spock, and you know this is like you know having to write the Sherlock Holmes character, right? Spock is complicated. Mm-hmm. She made Spock complicated. She made Spock into the the fully you know fleshed out version of him, which means that you know she had to have some understanding of critical thinking, even uh, even back then. With mm. w- with what little we do get out of Spock, you get that there's an, this enormous depth beneath the surface of his understanding of of logic and critical thinking. But it was because of her, I dare say, that some of us might be sitting here right now. Mm -hmm. Because Spock was a massive influence on us as kids. And I I just don't know if the Skeptic's Guide would be here if Spock didn't exist. Yeah, it's hard. One of those things it's hard to say. And what's interesting is like right at the end of the year, four Star Trek actors died. Rene Aubergenois, who was Odo. Oh, oh, that, no. that one hurt Aaron, too, man. Aaron Eisenberg, who was Nog, that little kid Nog on yep. Deep Space Nine. Uh, Robert Walker Jr., who was Charlie X uh, from the second uh, episode that aired of wow. Star Trek, the original series. And DC Fontana, all towards the end of the year, very over a very short period of time. Uh-huh. A few more scientists. Alexei Leonov, actually not a scientist, but he was the first person to walk in space, 85 mm-hmm. years old. Oh, wow. Uh, do you guys remember the name Jim Fowler? Yeah. Jim yeah. Fowler? Yes. Who was that? I recognize it. <laughs> he was the naturalist who was the face of Mutual of Omaha's ah! Wild Kingdom. 
So, oh gosh, this was this is one of the pillars of our youth, right? Every Sunday night there would be the Disney show, right? And then there would and there would be Wild Kingdom and Jim Fowler. (laughs) Yeah, it oh was the uh, oh back when there were only the seven episode. channels. Oh, he, yeah. he was really cool looking. He was. He, he had he a was, real. He he sort of embodied a like the uh, explorer, like a, in that you know what I mean, like Indiana Jones. Yeah, he was he was our Indiana Jones of our youth, you know, and and also was a great science communicator about. Uh, and he, but he was always like he had the voiceover, like Jim is you know whatever he's like. Wrestling an alligator, whatever he was doing, you know. <laughs> uh, but he was the guy who got in there, you know, and uh, it was very compelling, to, you know, to us when we were younger. Very, very compelling. If I remember correctly, like he would be the guy that would bring animals on the Johnny yeah. Carson show, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, Joan Embry was the other famous mm-hmm. person who would do that regularly. Yeah, yep, yep. Uh, Sidney Brenner was ninety-two, though he beat some better so- age. Yeah, he's a South African researcher who was one who was involved in deciphering the genetic code. It's pretty basic. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, David Thewlis, eighty-four Nobel laureate, Nobel laureate, who was involved. He was a physicist, so he did um, very esoteric work: theoretical discoveries of topological phase transitions and topological phases of matter. Was his area of research, uh, but he cool. was you know Nobel laureate. And then uh, we talked earlier in the year about Peter Mayhew, mm-hmm. Chewbacca. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. And not too long ago, Rutger Hauer. Yeah. Uh, yep. Wow. And then, and then... Tears in the rain. Most, perhaps most emotional of all, Grumpy Cat died this year. Oh, Grumpy Cat. Grumpy Cat. He'll that never be sad. grumpy again. <laughs> it's true, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we did lose one activist skeptic that I'm aware of this year, Robert Lancaster, uh, who died in September of this year. Um, so he was again, he was uh, very active. I know he worked a lot with uh, Susan Gerbic. Stop Sylvia Brown. He, he helped. Yeah, he create, ran. The, he helped he, create that. He website. ran the Stop Sylvia Brown website. That was that was I think how I really knew him was. Yeah, the, we used to see him effort. at Tam. We saw yeah. him at conferences. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good guy. Yeah, good fella. All right, guys. Are you ready to close out science or fiction for the year? Yes. Okay. All right. It's time for science or fiction. Each week I come up with three science news items or facts, two real and one fake, and I challenge my panel of skeptics to tell me which one is the fake. But before we do the final science or fiction of the year, of the decade, I'm going to give you guys some statistics. Uh, These are statistics as of episode 753. Uh, We'll have to do a final update after, you know, the... The last couple episodes. The last couple, into, yeah. yeah. So these and these come courtesy of David Board, uh, who took it upon himself to send us these stats. So here we go. In fifth place was me at twenty five percent, one out of four games. In fourth place was 
Bob. There is 40, no justice in this world. <laughs> that, that, that 47.91%, 48 that games, 23 improbable. wins, 25 losses. What? Uh, third fuck? place was third place was Evan at 52.1%. Mm. <sighs> That's pretty high for third place. 24 wins, 22 losses. Are we getting then better? Second place was Jay. Oh, what? 58.3%. 28 wins, Whoa. 20 losses, and then what? first place was Kara, 68%, with 26 wins, 12 losses. So here's the thing, Kara. Jay had more wins than you, but you missed, a, lo- you missed miss- a lot of yeah, shows. I missed more shows. Oh, and you happened Jay. to miss a lot of sweeps and a lot of uh, hard weeks. So <laughs> oh, no. Strategic. You navigated the minefield well. <laughs> so oh, I no. swept you guys four times. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really good. You swept me seven times, so huh. cle- clearly I gotta I gotta raise the stakes for next year. Don't do, don't do that. Yeah. So Evan, Kara, and Bob each had three solo wins. Jay had one solo win. Longest winning streak was who? Who do you think? Jay. Jay with six. Longest losing streak was Bob with Bob. five. Aww. Hey, your losing streak was smaller than his winning streak. That's that, good. That, how did I? How did so I? Much get, better now. If you asked me before you read the stats, I would have said I by far did the worst. I would yeah. have said I was in the middle. It's hard to you continue know, remember the the painful losses. Yeah. Before. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to science or fiction for this year. The theme this year. So sometimes I've done, I've revisited science or fiction items from earlier in the year to see if you guys remember them. But the last couple of years, instead of doing that, I've been just finding news items from throughout the year that we apparently missed. And that's what I did for this year. So these are just three news items from 2019 that I don't remember us talking about. Okay? Yeah. No other theme than that. Just 2019 is the theme. All right. So here we go. Item number one, scientists were able to grow perfect blood vessels in a Petri dish from stem cells. Item number two, researchers identified only the second ever recorded set of semi-identical twins, a boy and girl that are half identical. And item number three, a new reconstruction of a Neanderthal pelvis indicates that they did have a posture that was stooped forward when compared to modern humans. All right, Kara. Kara, you yes. get you can go first <laughs> since you're in the number one pole position. Here we go. Here's Scientists were able to grow majesty. perfect blood vessels in a petri dish from stem cells. That sounds bananas, but also there was all sorts of cool stuff like skin, like skin with multiple tissue types this year. All really cool stuff is happening in in in, in vitro growing of organs, so mm, maybe. Researchers identified only the second ever recorded set of semi-identical twins, a boy and a girl that are half identical. What does that even mean? So half of their <laughs> genome was divide like a, like an individual fertilized egg divided and then half and then there were also two fraternal eggs and one of them fused with the divided egg that would be my way that that would work out and i think that could work although if they fuse yeah if they fuse early enough there can be like weird meiotic changes um, it sounds weird, but could happen. A new reconstruction of a Neanderthal pelvis indicates that they did have a posture that was stooped forward when compared to modern humans. Oh, so this would be like reiterating kind of our old, like a caveman thing. 
I know they have the big brow, but I don't think they were ape-like. I think they were actually more modern. I did not see this news item at all, but I'm going to hope that they were like super tall and hot and fit and weren't apey at all. So I'm going <laughs> to say that that one's the fiction, the stoopiness. Okay, Jay. All right, the first one about the scientists growing the blood vessels, that's pretty damn cool. I hope that that one is science. What would be exceptionally hard about that? Yeah, I guess that they would just coerce the stem cells to become to become blood vessel cells, right? Is that what you would say, Steve? What what cells make up blood vessels? Are that's they a good question. I don't know the answer to that. But yeah, I mean, I could see this. And when you say little mini... You know, perf- well, you didn't say that. I guess Kara said that. Uh, scientists <laughs> were able to grow perfect blood vessels. Hmm. Like, so were they human? Were they non-human? Were they fish? I don't know. They were perfect. Second one, researchers identified only the second ever recorded set of semi-identical twins. I hate that. Semi-identical twins. A boy and a girl that are half identical. Yikes. Um, how is that even possible? Uh, that does kind of rub against my moderate understanding of genetics. Let me just move on to the last one here. A new reconstruction of a Neanderthal pelvis indicates that they did have a posture that was stooped forward when compared to modern humans. <laughs> There's something about that one I really don't like. Why would they be stooped over? And why would we only be finding out about this now? Two questions I need to know the answers to now that I didn't care about two minutes ago. Um <laughs> I'm going to say that the semi-identical twins one is the fake because I don't believe that there can be semi-identical twins. Okay, Evan? Yeah, I understand what you're saying there, Jay. It's weird. (laughs) And 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 something we've never heard of is semi-identical twins. But uh, that does not disqualify it, obviously, of being science. Um, The one about the blood vessels... uh, the word here that's getting me is perfect. Perfect blood vessels. I'm not. Something's wrong there. So I'm not quite. It's. Is that a getcha? <clears throat> but I'm. I'm most. I think convinced with the Neanderthal one, and the pelvis. Uh, you know, the posture stooped forward. You know, has that always just been a, just a caricature sort of thing that humans came came up with? Were they basing it on, on some real science or just using the existing science at the time to exaggerate it. Now they finally found something. It's kind of like retrofitting yeah. in, in a certain way. So I'm kind of leaning towards that one the most, I think, of being the fiction. And so I will go with that, but I, I, I'm, I don't like this perfect blood vessels one. I'll just make a note of that. <laughs> that, that that's Bob. No hedging. No terribly. hedging. No, no. I'll put, I put my nickel down on the Neanderthal. All right, Bob. The semi-identical twin ones seem to be pretty problematic but I, I guess there can be some sort of some genome absorbing things happening early early on that that kind of makes sense although i don't know too many details about exactly how that works you 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 know we've all heard about you know twins absorbing other twins um is that process kind of involved in this um perhaps but the neanderthal i mean that's yeah that doesn't uh i don't want that to be true and uh, I think Jay asked the question, how do they how would they know? I mean, I think I would looking at the bone and muscle insertion points and things like that, I think they could maybe determine Look at the bones. Like bone wear and stuff and muscle wear. Um so yeah, I don't want to, I don't like thinking that uh that they were stooped. I'll, I'll say that that one's fiction as well. Okay. 
So you all agree on number one, so we'll start there. Scientists were able to grow perfect blood vessels in a Petri dish from stem cells. You all think this one is science, and this one is science. Yay! Perfect. Okay. Interesting, Please. though. None of us mentioned stem cells as the science uh, topic of the uh, decade. Right? I think because the hype was really in the previous yeah. decade, and this is sort yeah. of a post-hype decade where, yeah, stuff's happening, but nothing really leading to any of the big treatments or whatever. So maybe ne- maybe the next, the 20s, will be another decade of stem cells we'll see so yeah they were this is this is an organoid remember guys talking yeah, about organoids organoid yeah Love that word not a full organ but a piece of one so they were mm-hmm. able to to grow uh blood vessels so blood vessels aren't just tissue there's different layers right you have like the intima the inner cell layer the middle and then you have the outer you know more fibrousy structural you know component of the blood vessel so they they were they were able to reproduce all of the the anatomical details of a, of a functioning blood vessel. Um, now, none of the the reviews of this was talking at all about um, like putting these into a, a human body. Uh, it's more like this would be a great way to do research. So now we could a, any disease that affects the vasculature that affects blood vessels, we could potentially use these as a research model. Uh, and so it may become a useful research paradigm. We'll see. But it also seemed to be like, all right, but couldn't they, like, if you grew one big enough, couldn't you use them as a vessel transplant? Like, take someone's own stem cells, grow blood vessels, and then do their cardiac bypass without having to harvest blood vessels from their leg, you know? Uh, I don't know if we're, you know, how long it will be before we can do that sort of thing, but that wasn't even mentioned in the uh, in the write-up of this. All right, I guess we'll take these in orders. In order, we'll go next to researchers identified only the second ever recorded set of semi-identical twins, a boy and girl, that are half identical. Jay, you think this one is the fiction. The rest of you think this one is science. And this one is science. Sorry, Jay. So this is cool. None none of you guys hit upon the actual mechanism, Hmm. which is alien interference. No, two sperm simultaneously fertilizing one egg. The same egg, gotcha. Now, oh, normally, of course. of course, right? But normally, this doesn't work. This right, white, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. knocks down the, the egg. Because yeah, yeah. 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 you have three sets of chromosomes, and the cell doesn't know what to do with it. But Reject. it divided quickly enough? Well, it just it rarely, the chromosomes just kind of sort themselves out well enough that you get two viable children that have. The identical, um, I guess you know, is the net effect. I guess is that the the X chromosome from the mother divides in two, and then each of those pair up with the Y chromosome from the two different sperm. So you have twins who have identical maternal DNA but different paternal DNA. So they're half identical, even though it sounds like an oxymoron. Cool. Yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, That'd be really kind of cool. neat. I have a brother, a boy, and a girl who. Are half identical. That's kind of neat. And the, but this is only the second case uh, ever identified, and this is the first one identified in the womb. This is identified oh, through wow. genetic testing in the womb. All right. So that means that a new reconstruction of a Neanderthal pelvis indicates that they did have a posture that was stooped forward when compared to modern humans is the fiction because they did a reconstruction of a Neanderthal pelvis and found that they were 100% fully bipedal like modern humans. Indistinguishable, fully upright, no stooping, nothing. 
That is a Sissy. complete fiction, yeah. That's a myth. Yes, with an interesting history, the first Neanderthal skeleton actually had like bony yeah. disease, you know, and so they, it was stooped over, but not because that was normal for Neanderthals, because it was diseased, you know, it was like an old arthritic, you know, person. But that stuck, you know, because it, 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 it fit the prejudice. Oh, it's primitive. It's got to look primitive, whatever that looks like. But but Neanderthals were robust, right? They were adapted to a glacial period, so they had. Again, they had like the big eyebrow, eye ridges that was real. Oh, yeah. Thick skulls, mm. you know, bigger muscles, thicker bones. I mean, they were you know. literally the called technically robustus, right? As opposed to. Yeah. Uh, they were robust. Yeah. As opposed to, was it gracile, gracile? Gr- grass, gracile, I guess. All right. So, guys, that's that's a wrap for the decade. Oh, my God. The SGU. The what do you decade. guys think? I so think it, we, I need a break or uh, something, right? <laughs> I'm going to bed. Ceaseless. Yeah, I'm taking I'm a day off. It never ends. Yeah, this is if this is it for the year. You get you get two weeks off actually because uh, we got Christmas and New Year's. Those what two weeks Christmas coming, coming at all? At all? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time talking about like the SGU and skepticism, but it's been quite a decade for the SGU. Our first book came out. Oh, yes. Definitely. Definitely. Kara joined the show, which is a huge impact on our show. Oh, my gosh. Immensely important. Jay joined the show full time. (laughs) Game changing. Jay's now working for the SGU Productions full time. That's another big change. Yeah. Uh, Ten ten years of Nexus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We got got an awesome geek we call Ian. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, we got an <laughs> yeah. Ian. Yeah, we got, Ian, we got is, an Ian. Ian is awesome. Most people have no clue how awesome he is, yeah. and he is fantastic. He's a great but guy. Get out of the box, put the batteries in, and my he man. goes. Yeah, he's awesome. Oh, over, the years, over the years, we have often had one or more people who basically work in the background doing a lot of the tech stuff or web stuff for us, because you know, a lot of... A lot of work takes place behind the show, like any any show like this. Hell yeah! Um, and Ian is currently that guy, and we are really lucky to have found him. He's been a you know really really helpful, does fantastic work work for the SGU. So yeah, I think overall it's been a good decade. I'm looking forward to another decade of the SGU. Sure. And Steve, Let's do it. Got to turn the camera on you for half a second, if you don't mind. The camera. Uh, mm. The lens. The lens. It, whatever. The acid bath, you know, depends on your perspective. <laughs> I, uh, you know, Steve, Steve, you are a, uh, I wouldn't say you're a workaholic, but you are amazingly um, efficient Devoted. and excellent in the work that you do. And I, you know, I got the pleasure of watching you, you know, pull all of us together to write the book. But man, that book came out so damn good. And you are, you are 99% responsible for that. And I want to thank mm-hmm. you so much. 98. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, you know, you two percent Neanderthal. It's funny. It's funny. Like I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. Like Steve is, you know, my brother. He is my my skeptical hero because I, you know, I just think that Steve does it and says it the best. But there's things about Steve that a lot of people don't know, and he is an incredibly caring and loving family member, and and just an awesome person to To be able to talk to and and you know share in his thoughts and everything because like you know I love I love going to to the movies with Steve and our crew right with Bob and you know whenever mm-hmm. anybody any one of our friends that can make it you know it's like dinner and a movie is magic to me and part of it is because of skepticism because we like to tear things apart and and analyze things and everything and I learned it from you Steve and I just want to thank you for being thank you, know, you bro yeah you're you're the best man 
Hey guys, it's been a pl- you know I've enjoyed this has been a fun ride because of all you guys, man. I wouldn't want to do this on my own. I love working with, uh, with but my you peeps. could. Oh gosh, yes, it was. I could. <laughs> yes, but I like having my crew. Uh, I do want to point so out that fun. one of the new bits that we're doing is the extravaganza, and we're doing this with George yeah. Hobb. George is another one of our skeptical colleagues who's oh God, just yeah. great to work with. So, so much fun. There a great are partner three... this past decade, George. Amazing. Yeah, without yeah. a doubt. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. And yeah, one of the him. best people mm-hmm. we've met through the skeptical movement. Just awesome. Here, here. So we have three shows for which you can buy tickets now. We have a couple of other shows that are coming online very soon, and we'll we'll get those on our website as soon as they're ready. But the three where you could buy tickets, one is Pittsburgh, PA, January 31st uh, at 7 p.m. The And then Philadelphia, February 1st on Saturday uh, yeah. at 8 p.m., I think is the, is the start time of that show. And then Brooklyn, February 2nd at 8 p.m. Yes, we know that February 2nd is freaking Super Bowl Sunday. And our touring company didn't know that when they booked the event. And so we're kind of stuck with it. That's we'll okay. Make- I want all the people who don't really care about sports ball. Yes, right. So, yeah, right. Yeah, so, and it's not like New York's going to any playoff games. So right, that's right. That's the local, right. the local so crowd has no it'll, excuse. It'll become our Super Bowl protest show. Yes, <laughs> I like that. If you don't want to watch Super the Super Bowl, Bowl, you have to come to our show in Brooklyn to show <laughs> your solidarity with not watching the Super Bowl. Um, just DVR the commercials, that's all. Yeah, it's basically right when the Super Bowl is on is when our show is going to be happening. Oh my gosh, we're so much more entertaining than that, especially this, the halftime show. Yeah, this the, 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 the extravaganza has been so much fun, man. It's like, oh I would not have thought 10 years ago, talk about like 10, 10 years, that we right? were doing this kind of comedy, variety, stage show, uh, yeah. zany, kind of wacky, skeptical thing. It's, it's really interesting that this came together the way it did. Kind of, we all, I think, surprised ourselves you know that we're pulling this off but it really is a lot a lot of fun we did our first show in los angeles it sold out the crowd was so positive like the feedback was just amazing Uh, i think everybody really really had had an awesome time so if you haven't been to an extravaganza check it out those are the next three dates we got more coming online if you want us to come to your city go to the website and you could send us an email and we're, we're basically just tallying up how many you know votes we get for each region or state or city. And if enough people say, "Hey, come to City X," we'll go there. You know, we'll pass that information along to our booking agent. And also, don't forget if you want to get this show uh, ad free and you want to get some premium content and you just want to support the SGU to help us do another decade of skepticism, you could become a patron. Uh, go to patreon.com slash skeptics guide and see all the cool stuff that you could get and all the stuff that we're planning on doing, like a 12-hour marathon. No sweat. That'll be coming up when we hit 4,000 patrons. Um, Soon. And, is, you know, I'm, I have mixed feelings about it, but, I, you know, of course I'm going to do it, but... Oh, come on. <laughs> no problem. But it is it is, it's very likely... idea? It's going to have a Star Trek <laughs> theme, so I can't complain. Yeah. <laughs> So Kara can complain at that point. Evan, give us a <laughs> quote. Give us the final quote of the decade. For last year's words belong to last year's language, and next year's words await another voice. And to make an end is to make a beginning. T.S. Eliot. Yes. Oh, very poetic. 
All right. Well, thank you, Evan. Guys, thank you for another year of the SGU. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Kara. I also want to thank our listeners, our audience, because obviously without them, this would be kind of pointless. And we do have, I think, uh, a you know a great listenership. We get tons of awesome emails. Whenever we go to any kind of conference and we get to meet people, who listen to the show, it's always you know a fantastic experience. Uh, that's really our listeners are, are mentally and obviously resource wise keeps us going. So thank everyone out there who listens to the show on a regular basis. Uh, keep spreading the word. Keep spreading skepticism. Thank you guys again. And I don't get to say this that often. Until next decade, <laughs> this is your skeptic's guide to the universe. <laughs> skeptic's Guide to the Universe is produced by SGU Productions, dedicated to promoting science and critical thinking. For more information, visit us at theskepticsguide.org. Send your questions to info at theskepticsguide.org. And if you would like to support the show and all the work that we do, go to patreon.com slash skepticsguide and consider becoming a patron and becoming part of the SGU community. Our listeners and supporters are what make SGU possible. 